0: Standing as we read the Word of God over the last six weeks, we've been in this series that we've called I Once Was Blind. We've been considering the reality of a, a spiritual realm and spiritual warfare. We've looked at the enemy, the devil, and his attacks. We've looked at the battlefield and where we stand firm, and we stand firm believing what is true. And now finally, 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 we're actually getting to the armor of God. Listen now, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13, and the first half of verse 14. The text reads, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. Our text today is going to to aim us at this, this idea, this picture, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, in our modern world, we're pretty familiar with belts. I imagine many of us in this room, we are wearing them. In fact, I learned about the functionality of a belt. I remember being a teenager and learning how useful a belt can be. Now, I, I grew up uh, the oldest of four boys, and you know, you imagine raising four boys, it is expensive, especially when they get to the teenage years, and they just eat and eat and eat and eat, right? <laughs> I saw some of those looks in this room, right? And so in, in my household, you know, uh, you know, fashion and apparel was not the highest on the, we're going to go buy this priority list, right? And that meant that, uh, that oftentimes I would receive hand-me-downs. And that was kind of a good thing for me. You know, we had a a bunch of guys in our neighborhood and and some of them were a year or two older than me. And so, uh, you know, they would grow and they would hand down their, some of them really nice clothes. And I'd be like, oh man, finally, I'm getting some jeans, right? I'm getting some nice clothes, right? But I would receive these things. The problem was, the problem was, and you guys have seen my oldest son, the problem was I was a stick as a teenager, right? And so I would get these uh, jeans from people and they would be long enough for me but I could fit two of my waists in these things. You know what I mean? Like, they they, they were a a bit loose on me. And so if I was going to wear these jeans that were good jeans, nice jeans, hand-me-down jeans, name brand, believe it or not, these these really nice clothing, I had to wear a belt. I had to wear a belt. If not, my pants were going to fall down, right? So I didn't really want my pants to fall down. And so uh, I, I learned how functional a belt is. Now, many of you in this room, you, you do the same thing. You wear a belt. Some of us, we just wear a belt without even like uh, thinking about it. It's just part of how we, we dress these days. And the same thing is true in the ancient world. But in the ancient world, they did not wear belts because they had pants. They wore belts for a similar but not an exact reason. Because in the ancient world, they didn't wear pants. They wore robes they would usually have a, a robe that was somewhat long, it would it would oftentimes be close to the ground or even touching the ground as they walk. And so because this this robe was hanging down low, imagine trying to run in a robe. Or about better yet, imagine going into the battlefield with a loose, dangling robe. The problem was that you would be, it was very likely that you would be tripped up, you would be tangled up, and you would be at a disadvantage. And so, you know what they would do? In fact, this, this word, having fastened, it could actually be translated. Here's what they would do. They would, here's here's the, the fun phrase. They would gird up their loins. Everybody say it with me. I know you want to. Okay, ready? Gird up their loins. What does that mean? Well, it's, here's what it is. You have this loose flowing rope and you would pull it up and you would take a leather strap, a leather belt, and you would hold it tight so that you could run with agility, so that you can move with precision, so that you can go into battle, you can go into warfare. Instead of having a disadvantage of your attire, you would have an advantage against your enemy. This is what The Apostle Paul likely has in mind when he describes this phrase, having fastened yourself with the belt of truth. Now, some theologians actually look at this and they say, you know, this belt might not have been for a warrior. Some, they look at this imagery, and they say the imagery could have been of a Roman warrior, a Roman soldier, but they say some look at this imagery and that it could have actually been the Jewish high priest who in a similar similar way would, would bind his clothing together. Now, I think that there's arguments on either side, but the point is clear. The point is clear is the belt is this this functional item that is used to secure something. And, And this belt of truth, then, for a believer, this is a foundational, this is a critical part of your life, of you living a faithful and successful life in Jesus Christ, that you must understand that you have been fastened with the belt of truth. In fact, even that word, fastened, or girded up, that it's, a, it's a participle, and it's a, it's a past tense, middle participle, which means, in a sense, this is something that has already occurred in your life if you have believed in Jesus Christ. You have already had this belt of truth fastened upon you, and that's what we're going to look at today. In fact, my big idea, what I hope that you leave here, just completely convinced of, and maybe— Deeply encouraged by is this reality that in Christ, in Christ, you are secure in truth. If you have trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, in Christ, you are secure in truth. Now, I mean, is this is this something that you have secured and fastened in your life? How much does truth hold your life? together or maybe let me ask that question from a different angle are you are you falling apart sometimes are there parts of your life that it seems like your life is frayed or falling apart because you are not secure in truth with those questions in mind let's begin to open up our bibles Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to handle this text, really, and I think it's going to be such an encouraging way. I want to look at this belt of truth by examining what we've already seen is true in the book of Ephesians. In fact, the Apostle Paul has used the same word, truth. He's used it a number of times. And so we don't have to say, well, what does Paul have in mind when he's talking about truth? But we can actually look back at the other places in the Ephesians where he's talked about truth. And this can be our encouragement. So in a sense, if you've been here the last year as we've preached through Ephesians, in a sense, this will be review. But listen very carefully. This is review with an aim at very precise application in your life. I want you to understand how the belt of truth works in your life right now. So let's open up our Bible. Ephesians, not chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 1. Here's where we're going to start. Here's where we start by understanding the belt of truth. We begin by believing in the truth of Christ for salvation. You, if you're going to have the belt of truth on, here's where it starts. You must believe in the truth of Christ for your salvation. Uh, ephesians chapter 1 opens with this great phrase uh verse 3 actually it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ and then it says this incredible thing it says who has blessed us in christ jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places this is what is true of you as a believer and if you remember, what the Apostle Paul does is then he, he just, he lays out in a beautiful way the blessings that you have in God the Father. And then he lays out the blessings that you have in God the Son. And then he lays out the blessings that you have in God the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 is where that portion begins. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth. Circle that word. The word of truth. Well, what is the word of truth? Look at the next phrase. The gospel of your salvation. And believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here, here's what the text teaches. It teaches the moment that you heard and believed, what? The moment you heard and believed the word of truth. Now, what is the word of truth? The word of truth is the gospel of your salvation. This is actually, this is talking about a moment, maybe a moment that has already happened in your life. This is talking about the moment in your life when maybe, maybe you've heard about Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that, I've gone to church, this person talks about Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus, he was a great teacher, oh yeah, Jesus, he did some great miracles, oh yeah, Jesus did this and this, and all of your life, you've heard all of this noise about Jesus, and you've kind of like, like mentally like, oh yeah, there's someone named Jesus, and I should kind of like think about him sometimes, but this is talking about a moment when, when it all came together, When you heard the message of Jesus, first of all, that he lived a perfect life. You heard that in a way that you saw Jesus in his perfect life, and you saw that contrasted with you and your imperfect life. Ephesians 2 described it as being dead in your trespasses and sins. This was a moment when you realized how holy Jesus is and how unholy you were. You heard this, his perfect life, and then you heard something else about Jesus. You heard that in his perfect life, he died a sacrificial death. You heard about him being nailed to a cross and breathing his last breath. You heard that this sacrifice is something that he willingly did. He wasn't forced to. It wasn't that the Romans were so powerful and Jesus was so weak. No, Jesus, he laid down his life and you heard that it wasn't just sacrificial, that it was, here it is, it was substitutionary. He took your place. You heard that all of your sin, it deserved death. Not just a physical earthly death, but an eternal spiritual death. And you heard that Jesus on that cross, he paid the price for every guilty deed, thought, and word that you have ever committed. All of it. Paid the price in full. You heard about this Jesus that lived a perfect life, that died a substitutionary death, that was buried, and then by the power of God on the third day was resurrected from the grave. And then you heard this incredible, incredible promise that if you put your faith in him, in who he is and what he has done, you will have salvation. Look at verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation this is talking about a moment when 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 cutting through all of the clutter and cutting through all of the noise about jesus it made sense this is the moment where the light switch went from off to on this is the moment when you heard about Jesus, not just as a good teacher or maybe a miracle worker, but you heard about Jesus and you knew that you needed Jesus. That you were desperate to trust in him. For me, I was 11 years old. I wasn't raised in a Christian household. I heard things about Jesus here and there growing up, but, but I went to a Christian festival where the gospel was proclaimed and I remember hearing this message and I knew I needed Jesus. For some in this room, maybe you were about six years old, and mom or dad explained it to you, and it's like the the light switch went on, and you knew you needed Jesus, even from that young age. For some in this room, maybe you were 60 years old, And you had gone your whole life maybe even thinking you had Jesus because you went to church or you did some good things or you even gave to the church. You did some good things and you thought you were good with God. But there was a moment when maybe it was a preacher, maybe it was in a conversation where you realized that it was not about how good you are. It was not about how hard you tried. It was not about how moral you had been. It was only about you trusting Jesus and you knew that he was your only hope. The moment you heard and believed the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Do you remember that moment? Have you had that moment? I, I recognize there are some people in this church that they're still considering who Jesus is. You realize that if that's you, today might very well be that day for you. I hope you, I hope you listen with, with open ears and an open heart. I hope that today's the day that that switch goes on. This very well might be that day. But but go back to the text and here's what it says. It says that believing the truth of the gospel, the moment you heard and believed, believing the truth of the gospel, two things. First of all, you were sealed at that moment. You were sealed. Now this is the imagery of a, 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 a king that writes an edict and he rolls it in a scroll and, and he puts the wax down upon the edge and then he seals it with a signet ring uh, symbolizing that it is, it is authorized from him. It is his possession and it is his authority that carries out the will of that, that seal, of that document. This is, this is not a, a roll or a scroll, though. This is you. You as a person, you have been sealed. God has placed his signet ring upon you. You are now his. Not only were you sealed in this moment, but look, you were also sealed until the day of redemption. This is an unbreakable seal. If you were to skip ahead to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Here's what Ephesians 4.30 says. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is talking about this this ultimate moment, this day of redemption when God comes and he brings all of world history to its final culmination. In that moment when all things bring are brought to their very end, you have been sealed for that day, and in that day it is going to be demonstrated that you are his. Look at verse 14. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. It says it says, "Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." This really put this together, that you were sealed at the moment of salvation and you were sealed until the day of redemption. You wanna know what that means? That means that you are now owned by God. That's kind of a weird phrase, right? You were owned by God. We use the word owned and sometimes we don't use it in a very, a very positive light. You think about in the, the baseball world, if one team owns another team, that's not a good thing, right? That means that every time they meet, one team always wins, and they win handily, right? Like, it's not very fun to be owned by someone else on, the, on a, a sports team. Or, or sometimes we think about the, world, the word owned, and we think about the corruption of our world. Do you realize in, a, in our world right now, statistics say that there are between 35 and 40 million people that are in slavery? In slavery right now. These are people that are literally, they are owned, And so when we hear this phrase and it says that you are owned, some of us, we push back about that. I I don't want to be owned. You you can't own me. I don't don't want someone to own me. I don't want God to own me. But here is the stark reality. Everyone is owned by someone. According to the scripture, if you were in Christ, you have been bought with a price. You are now the possession of God the Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ, or you're owned by this evil Trinity of the devil who leads you along to do his will, your own flesh, which you are bound by, and even this world and the system of this world that you are trapped within. You are owned either by the enemy of your soul or by the lover of your soul. There's no third way, there's no middle ground, there's no other option. See, the, the, the truth of the gospel, the, the truth of the word, the, this truth that you have been saved means that you are now owned by God and he is a good God. He is a God who loves you and cares for you. He is a God who will fulfill all of his promises to you. And he has sealed you in his ownership. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. That means there is nothing or no one that can break that seal. You are his, period. Now, let me take this idea and let's go back to this belt of truth. How does this connect? You see, here's how it connects. When you have put on the belt of truth, you remember that you are saved by grace through faith. This means that when you are tempted to be down on yourself, the truth of salvation holds your life together. When you are tempted to be down on yourself, the truth of the salvation you have in Jesus Christ holds your life together. I don't know. You ever have those moments when you, don't, when you mess up? You have those moments when you speak to your children harshly. You have those moments when you act in greed or in lust or in pride or in anger. And then upon reflection, you're like, man, what's wrong with me? Man, I I did it again. You know, I'm trying so hard to to live a good life. I'm trying so hard to live a holy life. I'm trying so hard to follow Jesus. And yet I fall into it over and over again. What is wrong with me? Man, maybe I should just give up on this whole following Jesus thing. Maybe I should just throw in the towel. I'm, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm such a loser. Do you ever have those moments? I, I counsel enough people to know that you do. We all have those moments. Those moments when we get down on ourselves, when the only voice we hear is the voice of criticism, when the only emotion we have is the emotion of, that are negative, but but in those moments, if you are in Christ, you have the belt of truth on you, and that belt of truth reminds you that you have been saved, that you have been sealed by the Spirit of God, and there is nothing that anyone, including you, can do. That can break that. You, you, listen, listen, hear me well, okay. I'm not against going and talking to a counselor or or even in the right situations, figuring out medication or going on vacation. But, But listen, when you are depressed more than a pill, more than a counselor, and more than a vacation, you want to know what you need more than any of that stuff? You need the belt of truth. That's going to serve you better than anything else in this world. The reality that you have been saved and sealed by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that you can do that can change that. What, a, what an incredible truth. I mean we could just say amen and go home right now right? If we leave with just that truth in our mind, that is a game changer. Remember, this is spiritual warfare. We are going to battle. We are putting on the armor of God and the enemy his tactics are to tempt you and deceive you so he can accuse you, but when that happens, you have the truth. You've been saved you've been saved. When you are tempted to be down on yourself, this truth holds your life together. But likewise, when you are tempted to be high on yourself, this truth it holds your life together. You now sometimes we have those moments when life is just working so well. Your job's going great. Your finances are going in the right direction. Your wife or your husband, they're treating you wonderful. Your kids, they're actually obeying. Your health is going really good. Life is just going great. In fact, I use this, there's a word I use on the baseball team that I coach whenever someone does something really, really well. Right, It's kind of a funny word, but here's the deal. When we train, when we, we practice, we train in skills, and we, we practice these things over and over and over again. So like, let's say a kid feels the ball cleanly, their footwork is perfect, and they make a good throw. In that moment, I say a word, and I don't say it very often, but in that moment, here's what I say. I say, oh, that was butter. You think, butter, that seems weird, right? But on the ball field, that phrase, it cl- clues the kid on that they were smooth. They did everything right. And I'll tell you what, when, I, when a kid hears me say that, they just light up. Maybe you have moments when your life is like butter, right? Like it's just going smooth. Everything's working well. In that moment, you want to know what the temptation is? <sighs> you know, I'm pretty great. I'm doing pretty awesome. And in that moment, you can begin to become self reliant instead of dependent upon the Lord. You can begin to trust in your own strength, in your own righteousness. And you can forget that it's by grace, through faith, that you were saved. In those moments, arrogance and pride can start to creep in. Moral superiority can start to be your attitude toward others. And in those moments, you might not realize it. You might feel like your life is going great, but actually your life is starting to fringe and fall apart, and you need the truth of Christ and his saving work to hold your life together. See, this is a great truth for those in Christ. In Christ, you are secure in the truth. But where does it start? It starts by believing in the truth of Christ for salvation. Well, that's where it starts. But let's continue. Where else does the Apostle Paul speak of truth in Ephesians? Well, let's turn to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the next thing we're going to see is that not only do we believe in the truth of Christ for salvation, but secondly, we speak the truth in love to mature in Christ. We speak the truth and we speak it in love to one another so that we can all mature in Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says this. Actually, backing up a little bit, the Apostle Paul says that we're not to be like children who are unstable, we're not to be like those who are tossed to and fro by the wind of every doctrine and by deceitful schemes and by human cunning. He says, we should not be believing everything the world teaches us, but instead, verse 15, he says, rather, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is the head? Into Christ Christ. Here's what he says. We speak the truth in love to one another, and we do it in such a way that the result is we, we're not tossed to and fro, we're not given to deception. Spiritual warfare, it's fought with deception. He says we're not given to deception, but instead we speak the truth in love, and we all grow, we all mature in Christ. This is what he's teaching us. Now let me give you three truths back to back. Let me build this, this idea the first thing we see there is that we are to speak in love. We are to speak to one another. We are to speak in love. The second thing we th- see is that we are to speak the truth. So we speak in love, and secondly, we, si- we speak the truth. In fact, the word here is, is to truth in love, as, as if you were to translate it really woodenly. Truth in love. You speak the truth in love. And then the third thing we see is that we are all to grow. We are to grow. In fact, you are meant to be growing. Yes, you, all of you, all of us. Now, we look around this room and there are teenagers, right? You guys are like, okay, I know I'm supposed to grow, right? My parents tell me that every day. But look, in this room, there are people that have, there are former pastors in this room. In this room, there are people that have led missions. In this room, there are people that have been following Jesus and teaching the Bible longer than I have been alive, right? And how dare I say to you, you are supposed to grow. But listen very carefully. All of us are always to be growing. This side of heaven, you will not arrive. In fact, if you think you have arrived, you are further off from arriving than you realize. You are called to grow. This is a simple truth. You and I, we are called to grow, and one of the great ways, not the only way, but one of the great ways this growth happens is when we speak the truth in love. When we speak the truth in love. Now, we've talked about this before. It is possible for you to share the truth without love. That's really possible, right? In fact, my dad had a belt of truth growing up, right? And it straightened my life out really, really quick, right? Right? Uh, that belt of truth came out whenever I was doing something wrong. It's amazing how quickly he could pull that thing off, too. I mean, it's just, whew. Some of us, though, we treat the Bible as a bludgeon of truth. We see someone that's doing something wrong, and we lick our chops. Oh, yeah. They're believing something wrong. Bam. They're acting in the wrong way. Bam. And we speak the truth, but we do it without love. We do it without love. See, you can speak the truth without love, but but similarly, you cannot love, listen very carefully, you cannot love without speaking the truth. You cannot love your church family unless you speak the truth to them. That's called lying. That's called lying. So what does this look like practically? What does this mean practically? This means that we should be speaking the truth in love to each other. The truth here, contextually, is first of all the truth of the gospel. Instead of being led astray by all the false teaching of the world, and I know we talk about this stuff all the time, right? Instead of being led astray by all the false teaching of the world, you and I, we should be telling the truth to one another. When when you see someone reading something or thinking in ways that do not align with the gospel, we we should tell them about that. I'm going to tell you, uh, yesterday, uh, talking to a pastor friend of mine, uh, I found out about some books that he bought for the moms of his church. He he pastors a small church. He bought some books for the moms of his church, and he was kind of excited about this Mother's Day gift that he was going to give out. But he's kind of a younger pastor, and the books have heretical teaching in He He didn't know this. I asked him, I said, this was actually over a text message conversation, I said, do you, do you know what's in those? And he said, well, I just know that they're really a positive devotional thing. And I said, well, brother, would you read this article and this article and just let me know what you think. About a half an hour later, I got a text message back. He says, I'm going to return those books. But, but listen, that's a scary thing to do. It's a scary thing to do to say to someone, to, to lovingly and gently lead them in a path. And for him, I knew he would come to the right conclusion. But, but in that moment, he could have read that and be like, oh, Mike's just one of those you know, you know, uppity doctrinal Christians, and you know, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And he could have distanced himself from me. I could have ignored that for the sake of our relationship. I could have let him introduce something that would potentially hurt his church down the road just so that he would still like me. I mean, I'm kind of a, a, a pastor that he likes in his eyes, right? But we're not called to appease each other. We're called to speak the truth in love. And it's not just the pastor. This is a letter written to a church. This is how you and I are to treat one another. We are to speak the truth in love to one another. That means that we should be regularly having conversations with each other about the things in our lives that do not line up with what is true. This should be part of our life. Here's what this looks like. Maybe you have a friend in this church, a brother or sister in Christ, and and they've they've not been in worship regularly. How should you deal with this? Should you just hope they come back? You know what you can do. You could speak the truth without love. You could go up and be like, "Hey, you pagan! I'm pretty sure that you're dying and going to hell now, like because you're not coming to church." Right? Is that very loving? No. no, that would be not be speaking the truth in love. Or you could be like, "Hey, can we get a cup of coffee together?" And as you talk to me, like, hey, you know, I, I know you haven't been in church a whole lot, and I, what's going on? How come, what's keeping you from church? And then you could say something like, you know, I really want to encourage you to, to be part of the, 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 the corporate worship, because I know that your soul needs it, I know that my soul needs it, and I know that when we're all together, it strengthens each of us when we gather together. I, I, you can maybe even say, is there something I can do to help you get there? Is that speaking the truth? Is that speaking the truth in love? Yes. In fact, let me press this a little bit more. Husbands, your wives need you to speak the truth in love to them. Guess what, men? Husbands in this room, you see the deficiency in your wife more than anyone else. You see the places where she might be swooned by false doctrine. The Instagram theologians are the worst, by the way. You see the places where she might be given to vanity and pride. You see the places where she might start to gossip in ways that, you know, doesn't sound like outright gossip, but, but it's crossing those lines. And listen, she needs you to speak the truth to her, but she needs you to do it in a way that is full of love. Hey, babe, you know, I, I kind of noticed you, you've been talking about this person in some ways that might not be very positive. Can you help me understand what's going on there? Or maybe even as you pray for her, can I pray for you as I see the things in your life that that maybe you're working on, that you're striving to to honor the Lord with? Speaking the truth in love. Wives, your husbands need you to speak the truth in love to them. In the same way that husbands see the, the weak parts of a wife's life, wives, you see the weaknesses in your own husband's. You see the places where they might be given to anger? You hear the places where they might bend the truth or maybe tell a little lie to kind of make a conversation go easy for them? You see the places where they might be harsh with the children? Listen, in those moments, wives, your husbands need you to speak the truth and love to them. Listen, this doesn't mean you're condemning. This doesn't mean you lord it over them. This actually does not mean that you become the head of the household. This looks like, husband, you go to him and say, you know, I know that you're striving to be a godly man, and I see you struggling in places, in this situation or in this situation. I'm concerned. Can I pray for you? Now let me ask you, is that easy? No. None of these conversations are easy. None of them are. Is it worth it? Yes. You know, every time I have a conversation with someone that's hard, and I, it's like it's like, you know, you, you, they say be a pastor, right? You get to teach the Bible and hang out with people. You think that's all you get to do? Well, you know, like sometimes it feels like half of my job is just having hard conversations. But I have found that if we have hard conversations, loving someone and being gentle toward them, so often they are eager for the help. They are eager. For the council, they're eager for the coaching. Now, let me linger here a little bit further. I want you to imagine with me if, as a church, if, if we as a church, if we all strive to speak the truth in love, I want you to imagine a year or two years or ten years, or if the Lord grants us a few decades down the road, imagine the kind of church we would be. We would be the kind of church that is faithful to God and to each other. We would be the kind of church that is holy, not perfect, but we are striving toward holiness in ways that means our sinfulness is becoming less and less powerful in our lives. In fact, we would be a church that is mature, that can do some amazing ministry out of maturity. That's the kind of church that I would love to be part of. But, but imagine, imagine if we, we chose a different trajectory, Imagine if we choose to play it safe with each other, never challenge, challenge each other with, our, with sin, never speak the truth in love. You know what kind of church we would be? Instead of being a church that is faithful, we would be a church, listen very carefully, we would be a church that is fake. you realize how easy it is to become a church that is fake? We, we'd gather on Sunday. We'd look really good. We'd have really great smiles. We'd say all the right things, but we would go home and live godless lives The Lord speaks about this in the Old Testament. He says, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away. We would not be a church that is faithful. We would be a church that is fake. Also, we would not be a church that is holy. Instead, we would be a church that is hypocritical. We would be a church that is hypocritical. And listen very carefully, especially parents in this room, grandparents in this room. The next generation is watching If they see us coming to church and saying all these Christian things and they see us going home and acting in godless ways, I am going to guarantee you something right now. They will not remain in church. Why would they? It's a fake hypocritical show at that point. Instead of being a church that is faithful, we would be a church that is fake. Instead of being a church that is holy, we would be a church that is hypocritical. Instead of being a church that is mature, we would be a church that is misguided. We would be a church that would just, we'd be lured away by whatever new popular teaching is out there, whatever new book is published. That's what we'd be preaching. We'd, we'd be looking for hype instead of looking for truth. See, this is why we are called to speak the truth to one another, even when it's hard, even when it's scary, because it is worth it. This is what it looks like to wear that belt of truth, church. We, it begins when we believe the truth of Christ for salvation. And then it grows as we speak, as we speak the truth of Christ to one another. We remind each other of Christ and his salvation and in the holiness that he calls us to. But finally, finally, we live the truth of Christ. We live the truth of a new life in Christ. This is the call. We live the truth of a new life in Christ. Stay with me, Ephesians chapter 4 still. Ephesians chapter 4, if you were to look at verses 1 and 2, it says that you were to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then when you get to verse 17, it says, do not walk as the Gentiles do. These are those outside of Christ. This is who the Ephesians used to be. It says the Gentiles, they are futile in their thinking. They're darkened in their thinking. It says that they, they are they're ignorant and they are alienated from God. It says that they have grown callous in their hearts because of sensuality and sin. They are pursuing all the wrong things. This is verses 17 through 19. And then you get to verse 20. Look at me. Look with me. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20. It says this. It says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21 assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Here it is, circle this, as the truth is in Jesus. Don't live like the Gentiles do. Rather, live the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard of him because the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind's Time out. Where is the battlefield? Where does the spiritual warfare happen? In our minds, with what we believe. It says, To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I hope you see this is like a beautiful braid being woven together. We believe the truth. We speak the truth. We grow in the truth. We live in the truth. This text teaches us that we are to live the truth of a new life in Christ. Now now look back, verse 21, where is the truth? We find that in Christ is the truth. I want you to understand, this means that the truth is not in your own personal thoughts. Every week you come in here, here's the deal, we all come in here every single week and we have a hundred million thoughts of what we think is true and right and good, but every week we come in here and we measure those thoughts, here's what I want, but what does God say? We don't measure the truth based on what we want in our own heart. We measure the truth against Christ. Secondly, this means the truth is not in our society. Listen, you you can hear anything you want in the world. You can find any YouTube channel that will tell you whatever it is you want to believe. If you want to believe something, you can find someone teaching it. But here's the deal. Society, the world around us is not where truth is. The truth is not in yourself. The truth is not in society. In fact, listen, the truth is not in me. I am not the final word. Everything I say, you must measure against the word of God. There might be times when I say something, you say, Mike, can we talk about that? That's not how I understand this. That's totally appropriate and fine. Why? Because the truth is not in you or the world or in Mike. The truth is, say it with me, in Christ. He is the ultimate source of truth. This, This then means application. Let's get to the application. This means that in Christ, you put off the old life. If you have trusted in Christ, if you believe in Christ, this means in Christ you put off the old life. Well, let's, let's talk about it. What is the old life? The old life is anything and everything that does not match the character and purpose of who Christ is. Uh, let's just say that again. The old life is anything and everything that does not match the character and purpose of Jesus Christ. This is your old life. Here's what it looks like. When you come to Christ, you come to Christ and you have, well, let's use a cultural term, you have baggage. You have all sorts of things, all sorts of beliefs, habits, preferences, all sorts of behaviors, all sorts of thoughts, and you bring all of this into your new life in Christ. And your new life in Christ is spent, it's spent digging through all of your bags and saying, what is it in my life that does not match the character of Jesus Christ or the purpose of Jesus Christ? And anytime you found something that does not match the character and purpose of Jesus Christ, you know what you do? You take that bag and you go and you throw it in the trash. You take off the old self. Well, let's just think about this in terms of your character. How much of your character matches the character of Christ? Can I give you one way to consider your your, your new life in Christ and your old life? It's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Uh, usually a number of times a week, I, I just review this passage as I think about my own character. Can I just invite you, will you just... Will you close your eyes for a moment? I want to remind you of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. And I'm just going to slowly go through each of these characteristics. And as I do, I want you to do a little bit of a a self-reflection. Say, Lord, show me the places in my life where my life is not matching the character of Jesus. Here you go, you ready? Love. How, How loving are you toward your family? How much does your church see you loving them? How loving are you toward your neighbor? How loving are you toward your enemy? Love. How about peace? Or joy. Joy is the second one. Love, joy. Joy is this idea. It's an attitude of delight. How often do you find yourself delighting in who Christ is and what he has done for you? Or peace. Peace is this, this contentment, a settled contentment. No matter how difficult or how crazy life is, you have the peace that you are in Christ. H- how about patience? This word can be translated long-suffering. How long are you willing to suffer in difficult situations or with difficult people? How about Kindness. Kindness is displayed in service toward other people. How much of your life do you see kindness being shown to others? Or goodness? Goodness is is this all-encompassing idea of anything that reflects the good character of God. Are you pursuing things that are good? Are you pursuing things that are evil? Are you pursuing things that build or things that destroy? How about faithfulness? The one who is faithful is the one who is not faithful on their own. They're, they're faithful because of Christ's faithfulness, but it's, it's a long, enduring hike in the same direction. doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're continually going toward what Christ has called you to. How about gentleness? Are you gentle toward those who are abrasive toward you? Are you gentle in moments when you're frustrated or when life does not go your way? And then finally, self-control. How controlled are you in the moment of tension? How how controlled are you at the dinner table? How controlled are you with what you eat and what you drink? How controlled are you with your entertainment? Are you you consuming any entertainment? How controlled are you with your social media? Do you find yourself sucked into it for, for hours on end? Now, I want to invite you to open your eyes back up This is just one way, one way to consider how we take off our new life, or take off our old life, anything in our life that does not match these characteristics that are ultimately the characteristics of Christ. These are the things that we are to put off and no longer have as identifying our life. Now, last last idea here is, is these are called fruit. You know what? Fruit grows on a vine, and a vine is connected to a, ultimately connected to the roots of a plant. See, fruit is produced by the root. What is the root that produces this kind of fruit? Is it trying harder, being better, or doing more? No, the, the root is trusting that Jesus died and rose again. See, See, putting off your old life is this moment when you recognize, man, there's things in my life that are not good, but Jesus, he died and rose again for me. And so you turn away from those and you turn toward trusting in Christ. In fact, this, this truth, I'm going to end with one final verse. Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9. This is describing the difference between your old life and your new life. This is, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And here we go. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right. Right. And true, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are secure in truth. You are secure in truth. This is who you are. Your life now is a life that is constantly being drawn back to the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. This is your new identity. This is the belt of truth. You've already put it on. But but let me let me let me speak to one more group of people in this room. If you're part of that group that is coming and you're still wrestling with what you believe about Jesus, maybe you've heard all this and you're thinking, Mike, I'm not sure if I've put the belt of truth on. Let me just ask you today, in this moment, would you consider? would you consider this, this incredible claim that the belt of truth is not how good you need to be? It's not how hard you need to try to live a moral life. Instead, it is this free gift of Jesus. He died to pay the price for all of your sins. He was buried and resurrected so that if you are willing to trust in him, that light switch can go on for you today. With that said, let me pray. And after I pray, we are going to to remember Christ in communion. Heavenly Father, we come to you so grateful for the belt of truth that we now have upon us. Father, I pray that this truth would hold our life together in the moments when we are down on ourselves, We feel like we just keep trying and keep messing up. And Father, I pray that this this belt of truth would hold our lives together in those moments when we might be high on ourselves and thinking that we can be self-reliant. Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would lead us to be a church that speaks the truth and love to each other and the kind of truth that puts on the new life in Christ, this ultimate truth. We pray this with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this moment of communion... This is for those who have trusted in Jesus. If you have not trusted in Jesus, I just want to invite you to to observe for the next few minutes, but for everyone who has trusted in Jesus in his death and resurrection. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the front or the back, collect the bread and the cup, take them back with you to your seat. And when you get back to your seat, take a few moments to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. Let let this be a moment that, that reminds you of the truth you have in Christ. And then after everyone has collected the elements, I will come back up and we will share in this moment together. Well, brothers and sisters, for those in Christ, the table is now open. You may go and collect the bread and cup and take them back to your seat with you. This is a, this is a great moment. A great moment of remembering Jesus and who he is and what he's done. But but today, in this moment, I want to, to ask us to remember that we are doing this as a church family. Much of today's message, we emphasize that we are to speak the truth and love to each other. That we don't live this Christian life on our own. In fact, the symbolism here is of a, a loaf of bread broken. This is what we are. We are one body, but many pieces. One body, many members. And so before we remember by, by eating and drinking, I'm going to ask you to do something that, that might press uh a little bit uh your uncomfortable level a little bit but but here's what i'm going to ask you to do in just a moment don't do it yet i'm going to ask you to look around this room i'm going to ask you to try to make eye contact with with half a dozen to a dozen people and and just take this as a moment looking around and recognizing that you are part of a church family this is not a this is not a venue where we put on shows You are not a spectator at a place where you come for entertainment. You are a participant. You are a member of the family. So go ahead right now. Make eye contact with a dozen people or so. And in this, remember that you are part of this family together. Now, with these faces around you, this is a joy to be part of this together. But, but I truly want to call you to the responsibility of speaking the truth in love, reminding each other of the gospel, reminding each other in those, those days when we're low, reminding us of who Jesus is and what he's done reminding each other in those moments of temptation or even those moments where we've, we've failed, reminding each other of the call to live in a holy, a holy life that's covered by grace. This is the call we have upon it, upon this church family. So with that said, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. And then he, he took it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Let's remember. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He says, "This is the the new covenant in my blood." He, he is recognizing that he is going to bring forgiveness for our sins by shedding his blood. <laughs> he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Let's remember.